This morning's reading is from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 14. Background of the passage is that the Israelites had come up out of Egypt and Aaron stayed with them while Moses went up on Mount Sinai where the Lord was giving him very many detailed instructions. So we continue the narrative with Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival unto the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. 
Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, ah, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. And do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. How great is the mercy of God towards stiff-necked people. Thanks, Betty. Thanks, Betty, for that reading. It's lovely to see see you all. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for coming. And for those who are watching at home, thanks for joining with us. Uh, Ange wasn't here last week because he had COVID. He was back in the office on Monday. But he's not here this week because he's on leave for a few days and should be back in the office again on Thursday. Let me pray as we come to think about God's word. Our Father, this is your word. A word that was spoken and given in history and yet a word through which you continue to speak. So we thank you. Thank you for your spirit who takes your word and applies it to people's lives, opening up their eyes to see you more clearly, growing them in you, giving them trust and resilience to follow and live for you as your people in a world that is opposed to you. So we thank you for your gracious meeting with us this morning and for the gift of your word and pray that it would speak into our hearts and our minds and bring change to help us to grow in being people who trust and are resilient in you. Amen. I wonder if there is an area of your life, your Christian life, uh, life as following the Lord Jesus that you would like to grow in. I was really encouraged to get a a text uh, this week from Brian. Brian was on Camp Tookley. He and Catherine uh, led Camp Tookley. And afterwards he wrote back and said uh, 30 children had 
made a, a, a decision to follow Jesus. But he, then he said something about uh, he's learnt the importance of spurring one another on. And I was really encouraged about that, something that he wants to grow in. I wonder if there's an area that you would like to grow in in your Christian life. You may not think about that. You may just live day to day and just keep going. But if someone were to ask me that question, most likely the answer would be, I would love to grow more in prayer. Not the type of praying that uh, turns to God whenever I'm in trouble, which I'm very good at doing. I don't need to grow in that area. Nor the type of prayer that when I'm running late, I want every red light not to be red. I'm pretty good in that area also. But the kind of prayer that is concerned for what God wants, the kind of prayer that is disciplined, the kind of prayer for praying for things that will bring God honour and glory. A man you may have heard, he lived in the 1800s, his name was George Mueller. And he was on board a ship and he was stuck in fog. It was a Wednesday and he said to the captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec, which is in Canada, by Saturday. That's impossible, the captain said. Mueller replied, I've never broken engagement in 50 years. I would be happy to help you. The captain replied, how can you help me? I can't do anything myself. Let's go down to the chart room and pray, George Mueller said. The captain thought to himself, what type of lunatic is this? And then he said to the captain, do you see how dense the fog is? No, Mueller replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He got on his knees and he prayed. He prayed a simple prayer, which the captain mockingly said later was at the, 11, at the level of an eight-year-old. And the gist of his prayer was, Lord, if it is consistent with your will, please remove the fog in five minutes. You know the appointment you've made for me in Quebec for Saturday? I believe it is your will. When George Mueller finished, the captain was about to pray also. But Mueller put his hand on his shoulder and said, no. First, you don't believe it's his will. And second, I believe God has already answered and you don't need to pray. The fog had lifted. And hearing Mueller as he prayed, Change the captain's life. We so often learn to pray by the models that we expose ourselves to. We learn to pray by listening to how other people pray. We learn to pray by listening to the prayers of the Bible and how the people in the Bible pray. And today we're going to listen to Moses about how he prayed and how he prayed in the light of God's character. 
Uh, Betty's already given us uh, a little bit of the context in which this, uh, this chapter, Exodus chapter 32, took place. God had brought the Israelites out of generational bondage and slavery. He had miraculously parted the Red Sea. He had supernaturally provided food and water. And he led the, the, the Israelites to a place where he was making a covenant, God making a covenant with people he had chosen. And if they would enter into the covenant that God himself was making, then they would be his representatives in the world. They would be God's representatives. And the people agreed, and they went up the mountain. But Moses was away longer than expected. And we read in verse 1, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Isn't that amazing? After all that God had done for these people, now when Moses has gone a bit longer than they expected. And so Aaron took the, the gold that the Egyptians had given to the Israelites and he fashioned a calf. As an aside, just, as, just pausing for a minute, I know from personal experience when something unexpected comes into our lives, or into my life, when I've expected something would the next thing would happen and it doesn't happen. Initially, I can pray diligently and fervently. But as time goes on, as I wait longer and longer, the desire and intensity to pray can wane. Like the Israelites, I can quickly forget what God has done. And quickly from gratitude turn to complaining. Well, God said to Moses, remember, Moses is up on the mountain. He said in verse 7, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. It's interesting, the God almost seems to distance himself from his own people, the people he had chosen. He says to Moses, your people whom you brought up. Earlier, when we read in chapter 20, when God spoke about the, the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God. 
But now he says to Moses, no, they're your people, it seems. And God told Moses to go. And yet Moses stayed. Was he disobeying God? Was God testing Moses? God didn't have to tell Moses what was happening. God knew what was happening, but he didn't need to let Moses know. Just as in Genesis, God did not need to let Abraham know what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. But he did tell Abraham, and he did tell Moses. And Moses, like Abraham, his response was to intercede and pray for the people. Again, another aside, I can remember David Cook, who used to be the principal of Sydney Mission Bible College. I can remember him speaking one time. I heard it on a, on a tape. And he said something to the effect of, it seems that God may make us aware of situations so that we may intercede for people. When we hear of sin and struggle in other people's lives, often we hear about that through gossip. God has allowed us to hear it, not so that we can pass it on to others, but God has allowed us to hear so we can pray for them. I wonder if that would be your response. Gossip is so easy to pass on. But instead, praying and bringing that situation to God. Well, Moses, who's up on the mountain, prayed. We read in verses 11 to 14. O Lord, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, with great power... And a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promise them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Given all that God had said and done, for Moses, but also for his forebears. It did not make sense to Moses that God would now just destroy his people. And so it was Moses' trust in what God himself had already said. It was his trust in God's character and the promises that God had given that enabled him now to actually stand before God and pray rather than giving up or complaining. A number of years ago, uh, someone in our family went through a really challenging time. I was worried. Uh, I was fearful for them. 
which is natural for a father. But for me, this situation that they were in became all-encompassing and affected how I prayed, my desperation before God. I wanted God to remove the difficulty in their life. If I'm honest, a large part of why I wanted God to remove the difficulty so that I would feel better. During that time, my prayer was not based on God's character or even for their maturity. And if I thought about God's promises, it was only so that God would remove them out of the situation and my own discomfort. I knew the theory that God was bigger, but where my focus was and what I prayed showed that I thought the situation was bigger than God. Moses could have so easily thought that way also. But instead he interceded. He interceded for them. But interestingly, they weren't the focus of his prayer. God was the focus. And it seems to me that we will never really grow in prayer if we are not seeking to know God better. We will never really grow in prayer if we're not seeking to know God better. And there's no shortcut for that. It only comes as we spend time with God in his word and reflecting on who he is. It's scary. But the reality is that our prayers reveal how shallow or deep our relationship with God is. It is helpful, actually, after you pray, to stop and say, what did I pray for? Because that will tell you something about who God is in your understanding and what God is doing. There is a book called The Valley of Vision. It's a book of prayers from Puritan writers. And they're a book of, it's a book of prayers that the focus is on who God is. I want to read just the start of one of the prayers. Creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all people, head of the church, saviour of sinners, your greatness is unsearchable, your goodness infinite, your compassions unfailing, your providence boundless, your mercies ever new. And on it goes. It's a prayer all about who God is. And such praying is a reminder for our focus as we live in the world. Well, Moses prayed, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Moses had a concern for God's name and his honour. He was concerned for God's reputation and that others would respond rightly to him. Indeed, this is how Jesus taught his followers 
and indeed teaches us how to pray, to pray that God's name may be honoured. And to pray that is to ask that people think of God with the reverence that his name, his holiness deserves. That means praying that God's name would be honoured in my life and in my priorities and in my relationships. But it also means that it's be honoured in other people's lives. Maybe praying that for our neighbours. Praying that our neighbours would actually know God and acknowledge him rightly. Or for those intercultural workers. It's lovely to see Tim and Val here this morning. To pray for those intercultural workers and those who they live beside. Praying that for unreached people groups would respond and honour God. But praying that for ourselves also. Elizabeth and I went to Queensland recently to visit our son. Um, My wife, I I can't say there's the next service when she comes because she would be embarrassed. So if she hears, I know that someone's past... (laughs) Well, that's true. If you're watching a live stream, hello. Uh, Elizabeth teaches me so much about what it means to, uh, to trust in God and to pray. And she recently had read a book by Christine Dillon. Um, she's a, uh, she was a missionary. She just recently returned. She was in Taiwan. Uh, she lives in Sydney. Uh, we knew her at Pennant Hills Baptist Church. Uh, and she's written a series of novels. Um, uh, and the recent one, in, in one of it, one of the characters gave away a Two Ways to Live uh, brochure. And it's a, Two Ways to Live is really a, uh, it's about the gospel. It's just a small booklet. And she gave it away to, in the book to a friend. And as we went up to Queensland, Elizabeth, who often carries Two Ways to Live, she's much more of an evangelist than I am, she carries with her, she said, we should look for opportunities to give one of these away every day. And I thought, great. Did you say you might do that? Uh, anyway, we, we prayed for that. We don't pray every day together, but we did pray for that. Um, and there was a couple there in that we... Elizabeth does everything, really. She booked online this place, and we went there. She, he lives in Southport. Uh, we went and stayed in this flat in Southport, and there was an, a couple there in there. He's 90. Um, he just fractured his hip and he and exercises. He goes up and down. He, he lives on the first floor of a block of units. He goes up and down. And I got to talk to him. Uh, and I was going to give him a book, and, but I never saw him again. But I left it under his door with a note that I'd written. And Elizabeth left one of these on the table for uh, the people whom 
we, whose place it was, which she hired. We haven't heard anything about that, apart from the lady, because she asked, Elizabeth fills out a review. If you want anything done on the computer, don't ask me. But she filled out a review, and the lady said, uh, thanks, you're great, great, I don't know, tenants, whatever the word is. Um, and she said, thanks for the booklet. While I'm actually talking about my wife, we actually bought a, she bought a washing machine recently and it was delivered by two guys and so she gives them two ways to live. She's helpful for me in thinking to be more intentional about prayer and thinking about God's honour. More intentional for me in conversations. Because once I become intentional, I then think about that in conversations. And is this an opportunity or not? Whereas if I'm not intentional, I'm not thinking about that way at all. Moses was very intentional in his concern for God's name and honour. And that's what he prayed for, interceding for his people. Moses then reminded God of the promises he had made with Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Moses didn't need to remind God as though God might forget the promises he made. But it showed that Moses took his God's word seriously. And by doing so, Moses expressed his trust in God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Uh, a few years ago, I used to, I, I played soccer all my life. I've stopped maybe five years ago, but I refereed for a number of years also. And I'm a fairly sensitive person. Uh, I like it at the end of the game when everyone says, that, oh, thanks, sir, that was a great game. That wasn't very often. But I remember one game where I made some poor decisions and it seemed everyone on the field had an opinion about the referee. And I just wanted to crawl into a hole because they would let me know what their opinion was. I wanted the game to end. And I can remember while the game continued, just trying to concentrate on the, on, the, on the game, but at the same time praying, God, you said you never leave me or forsake me. I need you. I need you. Uh, and just this just one line kept going through my mind praying for God's help. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Did my asking God to be with me and not to leave me mean that I'd forgotten and that needed prompting? No. The promise is actually a reminder to me. And yet, it was also telling God that he had made a promise and I was wanting to try and keep hold of that and hold on to that. That we pray using promises God had already given shows that we take his words seriously, which also encourages and strengthens us. Moses teaches us that prayer is about honouring God. The most important thing about prayer is not you or me, 
that it's about who God is, his promises, reminding him of his faithfulness. However, we also read at the end of the prayer that Moses prayed that God relented and did not bring the disaster he had threatened. And that raises the question, do our prayers twist God's arm to do something he hadn't planned to do? Do we actually influence God? Or is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything? In which case, why do we pray? John Carson says that the God is sovereign means that he works within his people to give them a desire to pray for what he has worked to accomplish. So our prayers do have a bearing on people and situations. God is not a robot where everything is programmed. Somehow God enables us to participate in what he is doing when we pray. Yet it is God at work leading us to pray that way and God who brings about the changes according to his wisdom and sovereignty. So I think the best way to pray is according to his character and his promises to grow more like him. In God's mercy, Moses proved to be God's own appointed means. So it was Moses interceding that brought about the relenting and therefore the gracious confirmation of God's commitment to keep his promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So that's astounding, because like Moses, you and I can participate in bringing about God's own means, his own appointed means. In a limited sense, prayer certainly changes things. But prayer never catches God out. So I want to finish by saying that prayer is God's gift to us in working in his honour and holding on to his promises. Prayer is a gift of God to us, just as giving money to the church or to charities is not about the church, or I should say, it's not about God needing our finance. God doesn't need our finance to do his work. But rather we give as a recognition of his trust and his goodness. God doesn't need us to pray. God doesn't need us to tell us what is happening, so he's aware. He is aware. Rather, primarily, prayer is about for us to trust and join in asking him to do what he knows is best and in line with his character and purposes. And we can do that because Jesus himself is our great high priest and he is the one who is our representative. He is the one who has secured our eternal salvation who has enabled our relationship so we can indeed pray 
and who intercedes as we wait for Jesus' return. I guess if you go away with anything today, go away with prayer is not about you, but it's about God's honour and his promises and he's at work as we pray that way. I'm going to do that now. Now, Father, we confess that prayer is hard work. It is hard work when we think about prayer in the context of your character and your promises because we confess we are so good at making prayer about ourselves and our needs and making our situations easier. We thank you that you are always for us in the Lord Jesus. But your desire ultimately is not for our ease and comfort, but for our maturity. And so we pray that you may help us grow. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that prayer flows out of who you are and our understanding of who you are through the scriptures. Thank you that you've revealed yourself, that we don't need to guess about your character. Thank you that you've given promises. Thank you that you are faithful and gracious and merciful. And thank you for the reminder that we can approach the throne of grace and there find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need in every situation. Now, Father, we see the disciples falling asleep when you encourage them to pray. And we can identify so well with that. We thank you that how we pray does not determine our relationship with you, but our relationship with you is one through grace, through what you have done. But we do pray that an outworking of that grace may be our own growth and maturity and trust in you. Amen.